The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Hey, Chadville. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a fantastic long weekend. Had your fill of turkey or ham, whatever it is that blows up your skirt on Thanksgiving. Um, bit of a dreary day out there. Things looking better weather-wise come uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On the show today, of course, 420, your word of the day, your chance to win that trip to Mexico with me when we head out there January 25th. So, uh, again, 420 is your word of the day. On the show today, we're going to be talking a whole bunch of stuff, including with uh, one of our favorite guests, Jason Tetro, the host of the Super Awesome Science Show, the author, the author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files, uh, tackling a topic probably not a lot of you want to talk about, but some interesting research into it. I'll, uh, I'll tell you all about it coming up. As well, we'll talk about uh, some advanced voting. We'll hear a really amazing business success story that started right here in Edmonton. We'll talk rural crime, opioids, but right now, yep, let's talk about election. This time next week, the federal election will be in the books, but will it be a clear-cut win? Will it be a minority government? And what the heck does it all mean for you? Lots of questions being asked on a number of fronts today, especially after a long weekend that saw safety threats, talk of what coalitions might be struck and new polling numbers to take a look. We're pleased to welcome back uh, Dr. Lydia Miljohn from the Department of Political Science at the University of Windsor. Welcome back to the show, doctor. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start with this security threat, this rally in uh, in uh, Mississauga on the weekend. What what do you think it says about the state of, of politics and maybe the state of our world these days when our politicians have to show up wearing body armor? I have no idea. I mean, the, the the nature of the threat was never revealed. Um, it was in Mississauga. It was a, a big rally. Uh, I think what was more interesting about that rally isn't necessarily the unnamed threat, but the fact that the last time around in 2015, um, the Liberals went to that la- rally and could fill the room with 7,000 people, and this mm. time they had only 2,000. So, oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. So who knows? I, yeah. I, I couldn't speak to, to security threats. I think it's it, it's disturbing, but I'm happy to see that it hasn't been replicated so far, and, and maybe it was just a one-off. Well, I did want to just want to touch on it just a little bit further, because uh, Trudeau said it kind of speaks to um, the polarization of the campaign um you know uh, andrew Shear saying that it was very disturbing and i know um and ndp leader jagmeet singh uh, had put out a tweet as well but the polarization in this campaign the polarization in politics itself especially over the past number of years um has increased and it is really really remarkable and frustrating and i and when we look at people talking about maybe getting that vote out i'm wondering if that is uh, playing into that people just saying Nah, I'm done with this. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you have this kind of negativity, that's one of the risks is that it can um, suppress voter turnout. And it's also interesting that, you know, Trudeau is actually taking a little bit of responsibility for this polarization. I mean, you know, the Liberal campaign started off exceptionally negative, um, mm-hmm. trying to do identity politics, trying to pit one region against the other. And now they're seeing the consequences of that. And he's actually admitted that he's, he's regretful of that a little bit too late. But nonetheless, that's the, the state that we're in right now. This is, you know, we always said that, I mean, I said this is going to be a national 
nasty, brutish, and short election. Now I'm wishing it was even shorter than what we got because it has been very taxing. And, and, you know, the debates, I think the debates really changed the the tone to the worse. And I think part of the reason for Jagmeet Singh's sort of rise in the polls is that he he was a little bit more positive than the other mm-hmm. leaders but if you were looking for issues or policies to be discussed in those debates mm. it was hard to find yeah without a doubt and you mentioned that polling that latest polling the uh, NDP seeing a, a bit of a surge in support as the liberals and conservatives pretty much if you look at it remain in a statistical tie um, that latest poll by Ipsos that uh, we've been looking at found that support from the conservatives is down two percent uh, at 32 the Liberals dropped five uh, five points to 30%. The NDP is up a five uh, up f- uh, five full percentage points since last week. The election was held tomorrow. The party would receive about 20% of the popular vote. And, and that's bad news for the Liberals, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is, uh, you know, just historically, because the Liberals have been sort of trying to occupy the center-left part of the political spectrum, uh, they're now being crowded out by the NDP. And so when the NDP rise, the Liberals fall, and the Conservatives come up the middle. Um, so I think Scheer and his team are probably, even though the numbers aren't exactly where they want, they're mm-hmm. probably quite happy. And and for a number of reasons, because in part, a lot of the polls actually underrepresent Conservative voices. Mm-hmm. Um, conservatives tend to not want to declare their position, in part for fear of being name-called. I mean, that's the problem with this division, divisive politics, is if you call somebody a racist because they support a particular political party, <laughs> it's not going to change their views about the party. It's just going to make them not tell you what their real ideas are. So I, I think that these polls, while they show that the Conservative support seems stagnant, I think they're not actually reflecting um, the sort of the, the silent conservative voice. Uh, Dr. Miljohn, I'm going to ask you to dust off your Apolli Sci 101 book for me here, okay? <laughs> okay, let me get it off my desk. <laughs> um, can you break down how minority governments work or could work? Okay, so here, here is how it goes. If there is a minority situation, regardless of which party gets the most seats, the option to form government goes first to the party that just held government. So let's say, I'm just giving you a scenario of just a made-up scenario. Okay. Let's say the Conservatives had 135 seats, the Liberals had 130. It would be the Liberals that would get the chance to form government. Basically, the Governor-General will say, okay, Justin Trudeau, you find some coalition partners and see if you can form government. If he could not form government, then they would go to uh, Andrew Scheer and say, okay, you give it a shot. And if mm. he can't form a government, uh, then we have another election. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been hearing kind of uh, talk about it and then then uh, then then walkbacks on it about the possible about the possibility of a liberal NDP uh, well at least uh, you know the possibility of them chatting about it yeah uh, what would that look like do you think well I don't think it would actually be a coalition government it's very rare for us to have coalition governments okay. while we've had minority governments typically the liberals haven't want to give power to the NDP and for good reason because they don't want to you know they just want to steal from their platform they don't actually want to give them the seat at the table <laughs> Um, but this time around, I mean, it's hard to say whether or not the NDP would actually hold the balance of power. It's probably more likely that it's the Bloc Québécois that's mm. going to be holding the balance of power. But nonetheless, what it, whatever the arrangement would be is probably a confidence supply agreement, much like you have next door in British Columbia with the NDP and the Greens. So the NDP didn't have enough seats to form government. The Greens said, 
fine. We'll prop you up as long as you um, fulfill our demands. One was, you know, a referendum on proportional representation. So that would be probably the price of admission for either the NDP or the Bloc Québécois. The NDP might say no more pipelines. The Bloc mm. Québécois might say give Quebec extra goodies. And for the Liberals and the Conservatives, they might not like either of those options. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you could have a situation like you had in 2006, 2008, where you had the Conservatives in a minority situation, and the other parties didn't have enough seats individually to overtake them, and so they cooperated because they were all cash-strapped oh boy, and the oh Conservatives weren't. So there's lots of different ways that this can play out. And, and it, it is early to speculate because we don't know what the ultimate seat count's going to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of these decisions are going to rest on how close whatever government is to a majority or minority. Do you think any of those conversations might be being had right now, or does that happen um, after October 21st? They would be idiots all of them to entertain any of those conversations right now because if word got leaked out, mm. they could really hamper their vote. So I suspect that they're not. And they might be privately having conversations amongst themselves, like, you know, the Liberals mm-hmm. or the NDP. But between the different parties, I think it would it, that would be, in a sense, political suicide. And again, it, it would concede that they lost. And, and yeah. nobody wants to do that. And I think that's the, the big error of Jagmeet Singh. Like, so the, he's, <laughs> he's increasing in the polls as a result of the debate bounce. So he got a bounce off of the debate. But I think the comments over this weekend with respect to saying I'm only going to play nice with the Liberals is going to harm that brand and I I suspect that they're going to get a softening of their support as the week progresses. Uh, Dr. Lydia Miljohn joining us this afternoon. It's interesting you start to think, and I heard someone say it on the weekend if by chance it's a liberal liberal minority with uh, some help from the NDP. I don't know what the Conservative provinces I'm, I'm fearful that heads may explode. Yeah, and I think that's the other real worry about this election campaign. When you look at that electoral map and the seat projections, and I'm not saying that any of those things have a grain of truth to them. I think that there's some major problems with that. But let's say that's for the sake of argument, that's what's going to happen. I see the next four years being a really difficult time for Canadian unity. Uh, You have a very split country. You have essentially the West going conservative, and then you have, you know, a smattering of liberals in Ontario and Atlantic Canada that resurgence of the Bloc Québécois. I really fear for the issues of national unity, and in particular from Western Canada. I think yeah. that, you know, I, I've said this before, I, I, I still think of myself as an Albertan. That's where I was born. That's where I was educated. And I feel for my friends and neighbors and families who have been really left behind by this government. And and whoever forms government has to reconcile the legitimate concerns of people from Alberta, that the job losses, the, the economic uncertainty are real, and they have to be addressed to the same extent that we address other regional um, economic issues. Well, and it's been interesting because, you know, if you look at it, depending, there was some more polling that was done last week, and it was talking about how voters are feeling um, on the economy, on affordability, on, on, on. But it all depends exactly on, on, on where you're living. I mean, those numbers about the economy, you're going to feel much better likely about it in Ontario than in Alberta. So how does a government then take, let's say, whatever government it is, how, mm-hmm. how do they start to address those issues um, that are leading to this, this feeling?
feeling of alienation in the West. Yeah, well, I think that it, a part of it will have to be working better with the provinces, working with provincial leadership. I mean, all of the elections that we had this year at the provincial level, even last year, have really been a rejection of of, the, of liberals. And, and so there, the fact that a lot of provincial governments have gone conservative means that whatever government's going to be in place here is going to have to play with those conservative politicians. And I think it's it's a bit strange for Justin Trudeau in particular to be complaining against conservative premiers because if he wins re-election he's got to sit at the table with mm-hmm. Doug Ford and Jason Kenney and Brian Pallister those are the people that, that he's going to have to deal with this federation and having a top-down federal government on those provinces is not going to work out well and it will be fascinating if uh, Trudeau gets back in and you talk about sitting around the table when you've had um, you know we you've had provincial premiers um you know out campaigning against him so there's you know yeah to be a fly in the wall lydia like really i know it's it's well you know it keeps me in business it keeps you in business but it's not good for the country <laughs> uh, can you hold the line uh, for just a second i want to talk about some advanced polling and some voter turnout when we come back Sure. All right. Thank you, Dr. Lydia Miljohn, joining me this afternoon. She's a professor with the Department of Political Scientists at the University of Windsor. Um, advanced polling numbers, um, they're up big time over the last election. We'll take a closer look into that right after this. Well, this time next week, we'll have a clearer idea of... Well, the outcome of the past five weeks in this election campaign, Dr. Lydia Miljohn joining me this afternoon. She's a, a professor, Department of Political Scientists at the University of, of Windsor. Wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit on uh, some of these advanced polling numbers. A 25% increase uh, over this past weekend, the first couple of days, than 2015. Can you read anything into that at all? Um, well, not much. I mean, uh, the polling stations were open longer this time so they were open for 12 hours from 9 to 9 every day so that could be part of the indication of the increased support it could also be that the people who are already decided were really clear and they could you know they're ready to to vote and it's convenient you know there's a greater um recognition understanding of advanced polling amongst sort of people who are frequent voters so i'm not sure if it's going to be reflected in the final overall count i suspect that actually if I were to guess right now, I'd guess that voter turnout is actually overall going to be lower than it was mm. in 2015. Interesting. Um, Andrew Shear coming under fire for showing up in Winnipeg during a, uh, a snowstorm and the recovery from that snowstorm over the weekend. They can't win. They can't, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, if he didn't show up, he'd get crapped on for it. He does show up, he gets crapped on it. I remember Trudeau, you know, with Fort McMurray, same sort of thing. Rachel Notley, Fort McMurray, same thing. It's like, where are you? Then he's there. He's always in the way. You know, it's it's. <laughs> It's one of those, you know. <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, those are just partisan attacks, and you can just, you know, I think people just roll their eyes over. The, the fact remains that every leader has to be somewhere <laughs> during the election campaign, <laughs> and it could have just been that that's where they had planned to be, and, you know, what are you going to do? And it, maybe he was just showing his support for Winnipeg. I don't think that's going to make a difference in overall turnout, or, or no. you know, if you're going to, if you're going to criticize, I mean, you can criticize him for, for showing up and all that, but if that's going to be the definitive reason of why you <laughs> You weren't going to vote for him. You probably weren't going to vote for him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, before we let you go, you know, I think this uh, this report pretty much shows up um, the week before um, every, uh, you know, uh, election. And there was a story that came out, a study, um, 
that shows three out of five Canadians want voting to be mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> mandatory okay. voting and there are other countries that that have mandatory voting yeah. uh, <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me Lydia <laughs> radio you can't see my eyes i can feel them i can feel them <laughs> um but i have to ask i just always find it i always find it i always find it interesting and it's you know you know people the, the, the whole line you know people fought and died so you can go to vote but it's also people fought and died so you had the you, you could make the decision not to do it either right like it's yeah it's one of yeah, those i mean the idea that we have to compel people to vote i don't know i i think that's dangerous because i would rather people who wanted to vote vote because they had an informed choice rather than, you know, at risk of fine or imprisonment not showing up to vote because then, then you're going to, and that's what we see in countries that have um, mandatory voting is that you have a much higher um, spoiled ballots. Ah. And so what's the point? It's like you're forcing, it's like forcing my teenager to do something. It's like, okay, make him clean his room. He's not going to do a good job of it. So, you know, let him, let him decide that the germs at one point are going to kill him and then he'll make the decision for himself and probably do a better job than if I can oh. tell him to do so. Uh, Dr. Miljohn, always great uh, to talk to you. What are you going to be doing on Monday night? Sitting back and watching, taking notes? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do some sort of, our department is doing a viewing party. So I'll be mm. eating pizza with my students and... Maybe hopefully enjoying enjoying the night. All righty. Well, I look forward to talking to you maybe next week, and we'll get your thoughts on, on how everything shook down. Thank you for joining me once again today. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Take care, Dr. Lydia Miljohn, uh, joining us this afternoon. So, um, you know, when it comes to low voter turnout, and we know that voter turnout can always be um, a challenge. Since 2000, uh, no Canadian federal election has reached a participation threshold of 70%. Um, last year's 2015 came close. It was 69%. Still lower than the two elections won by um, Mulroney's PCs in 1984 and 88. There were 75% uh, there. In 1992, oh, going way back, do you remember this? My gosh. I just started really in uh, in uh, in broadcasting and remember sitting and, and watching this. 72% of Canadians cast a, a ballot in the Charlottetown Accord referendum. And, you know, we know that there's lots of reasons why people don't vote. Um, campaigns, maybe you know, have failed to engage with you. Certain groups of folks just might feel disenchanted uh, with the options and, and, and choose not to, to show up. More than 20 countries, I was reading about this today, more than 20 countries observe some form of compulsory voting in national elections, including Australia, Brazil, Luxembourg, and Peru. And it kind of all depends on, on where you're going or what, what country you're in with, with some of the rules. Uh, in Australia, for instance, a fine of up to $150 may be leveled if a voter cannot provide a plausible explanation for his or her failure to cast a ballot such as religious reasons or illness. In Brazil, eligible voters aged 18 to 70 require a voting receipt to access key government services, including registering for a new passport or identification card. Uh, the advanced polling numbers uh, right now, as I mentioned, um, up about 25% uh, from 2015. Again, the uh, the hours are a little bit longer. We'll find out uh, some of those uh, other numbers. I think tomorrow, the final numbers on the ballots cast in the advanced polls uh, over, over this weekend. Did you vote on the weekend? 
Did you cast your ballot? I haven't. I will wait till next Monday. Not sure yet who I'm voting for. I haven't quite made up my mind. Yes, I'm one of those people that's still weighing the options, taking a look at everything. Some of your texts coming in this afternoon. Um, <laughs> I, I liked that word to this one. You voters under 40 are effing up our country. You want handouts and you vote for the NDP and the liberal crooks. Oh, cranky pants on this Tuesday. Loosen a belt notch on that belt after your turkey dinner there. Um, <laughs> you guys can never win, eh? Um, oh, look, a blatantly conservative professor being passed off as a political expert on 630 Chad. Shocking. Is that difficult to find someone who can speak without working their own agenda into the conversation? What's amazing is last time I had her on, you accused her of being blatantly liberal. Unreal.